A very good morning. Ooh, morning. morning. It's great. Now, when you come in this morning, as you sit yourself in the pew, I wonder how many of us actually glance at and reread this plaque behind the podium. You know, this has been here since I think the late 1990s, eh, when they replaced or they put on the um, paneling behind me. It was a white wall before. Uh, and and it's, the words are significant. I mean, the, the leaders from both the congregations put up these words in Chinese and in English. It is of significance. It's redeemed with a precious blood. And I think it is very um, meaningful because truly as disciples of Jesus are redeemed through his blood. Isn't that so? First Peter, or Ephesians 1.7 rather, say that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. But you know, during a typical week that you had, how many of us ever think about these words? How many of us remembered about this that we see, you know, spending one and a half hours or so staring at this, uh, this plug behind me? Does it make a difference in our lives? Similarly, our church vision can be ink on paper found on the bulletin. It can, perhaps in the new building is emblazoned on some, some, uh, some wall somewhere in big words, perhaps. But could it just be a decor? Truly, if we are embracing or desire to embrace a vision and make it our personal vision and mission, it has to be much more than that. Uh, if I just want to point out a, a thing about the, um, uh, the order of service, some of you will be going along with it for the sermon outline. I've kind of flipped point two and point four so that we begin with the gospel and end with a disciple-making church. All right? So just bear, bear that in mind as you look at it in case you wonder why the sequence seems to be out. Whose vision is it anyway? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that we belong to you. We are truly redeemed by the blood of the cross of Christ that we are now called your own. We are your disciple. And Father, as we look to your word this morning, look to the vision of the church you've given to us, I pray you speak to us individually, personally, that it becomes something personal, usable, that we do day in and day out of our lives. So we commit this unto you. May the words of my mouth and the attitudes of our hearts be presentable, be wholly acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus opened his public ministry after his baptism by John the Baptist and after spending 40 days in the wilderness being tested. He then returned to Nazareth where he has uh, grown up and was at a synagogue like a good Jew on Sunday or on the Sabbath. Uh, where he was handed the scroll of Isaiah and asked to read a passage in there. Early on, you kind of uh, read that passage during the worship time, but this is an account in Luke, Luke 4, verses 17 to 21. I'm going to just run that through with us for a minute. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book, or the scroll, and found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he began to say to them that today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, verses uh, 18 and 19, okay, the one with the yellow words on it, are taken from Isaiah 
the one that you read early on, Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And if you look, if you want to look at the summary, the essence statement behind these two verses, is in the first and the last part of it. Jesus said that he he's here to preach the gospel to the poor and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That is his mission on earth. Because he knows from the prophecy that was made more than 700 years ago before he, he was born, through the prophet Isaiah, God already gave the vision. And he is here, Jesus is here at that point in time to fulfill that. This is his personal mission. So right at the start of his public ministry, Jesus said it out front to preach the gospel, to share the good news, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This favorable year of the Lord is not so much a calendar year per se, but really is about, is linked often time to the year of Jubilee. Now many of us know that Singapore is in the Jubilee year, yeah, 50th uh, anniversary or 50th uh, National Day. But here in the Old Testament, the Jubilee year speaks of redemption, rest, and restoration. Uh, because, you know, 7 times 7 is 49. The 50th year marked the complete cycle, the perfect timing for a redeemer to come. That is the favorable year of the Lord. Slaves are freed or redeemed on that year. Um, the land is allowed to rest. There's no planting and growing and reaping of uh, crops. And there is a personal uh, focus on personal revival and restoration of the heart of, of the people of God back to him. Jesus knew his mission because he knows the, Father, the heart of the Father, heart of God. Now, what did he do in his life that reflected his personal mission? That he does what he says that he will do, right? Uh, in our team, we say we, WWD, we will do WWS, what we say, WWD, what we, what, we will do what we say we will do. And this is what, exactly what Jesus did. In Mark 1, 38 to 39, he said, now, the context of this is this, right? He, it, before, a few verses before this, he has gone out by himself, out in the wee hours in the morning to pray. And the disciples woke up and said, where is he? Where's the master? And, and, and they noticed there was a gathering crowd of people around where they were because they had been ministering to them and the uh, words has gone out. A lot of people want to come to be healed, to be preached at, and to be ministered to. And so they went to find Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, it's time to, um, to come back to our near our place, and minister some more. You know, they're thinking, well, this is great. I mean, this is a flourishing ministry. And yet Jesus said this. He said, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby in order that I may preach there also for that is what I came out for. And he went out into the synagogues throughout all of Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. And I think the heart behind it is it's not just about how successful, quote-unquote, the current ministry is, but am I fulfilling God's call for me to spread the good news to everyone who needs to hear the good news? So he was consistent in his, um, in his life as well. And then in the high priestly prayer in John 17, near the end of Jesus' earthly life, uh, before he goes to the cross, uh, he, as he prayed this prayer, he says this of himself, Say, Father, I glorify you on the earth having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. I have done it. It is finished. And that was echoed on the cross of Calvary. So in Jesus' life, as you notice, uh, he has lived out God's vision for him as his personal mission. And he did it all, having accomplished everything that God wants him to do. Now how about us? 
What is our church vision? What is God's vision for us as a congregation, as a community of faith in Grace Baptist Church? Whose vision is it anyway? If it's hung on a wall to be read only on Sundays and to be placed and forgotten during weekdays, is that truly a vision of God that is our personal mission? Let us find out more about this vision from the Lord so that we can embrace it as our own. Now, before I continue on, I, I've forgotten to mention something. I, we want to welcome back Auntie Pokin at the back. You know, and then she was, uh, she has not been well, and so we're thankful she's with us today. Hi, Auntie Pokin. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's so good to, to see you. Praise the Lord. Um, we begin with the question, what does the gospel, uh, or what does the, the vision state? It's a disciple-making church that transforms lives with the gospel and love of Jesus Christ. You've seen that printed on the bulletin, uh, but let's look a bit more about it. Um, God uses his leaders to impart a vision. You may be wondering, okay, God gave the vision, but how does it become that found on the bulletin? And I think some of us have been on a journey, but just a fresh reminder that it happened about three years ago now, if I, you know, somewhere down, down, down that line, you know. Few of us gather as we go before the Lord to pray, and then we talk to our Chinese brethren, brothers and sisters, you know, uh, the, the leadership over there. And then together, you know, we concur on the, on, the, on the statement that the Lord has placed on our heart. Now, that version, by the way, is an earlier version. It is a bit longer than the one we have. There's kind of many iterations along the way until we say, Lord, this is, this, is, this is it. This is the one that we can embrace as a church. English and Chinese together as one. All right? Now, this picture uh, it was not the first meeting. This is a, one of the many meetings we've had uh, over the years. But uh, just to give us a bit of context there. We begin with the question, what does the gospel and love of Jesus Christ mean? What does it mean to us? Okay, um, Romans uh, 1, 16-17 says this. Now, I, this, this sermon is a bit different from my, my typical one because usually I will do expository. This is a bit more, almost like a survey of verses because uh, we are looking at our vision and the different parts and components of it. My prayer is that in time to come, we have opportunity to actually go a bit deeper and I take out these different parts and the whole sermon will focus on one of this. But anyway, we'll begin with Romans 1, 16 and 17. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, But the righteous man shall live by faith. The gospel is the good news of the forgiveness of sins for sinners, to Christ's death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. It is good news because now sinners can be redeemed and be reconciled to him. We know that. But you look at the verse down there in verse 17. It says that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And um, one of the understanding of it is that it is from faith of the, the salvific that you have when you were saved, when you come to know, to know Christ, you expand and grow in that faith that so it becomes a living faith. They be, that makes you grow in your faith journey in the Lord. Uh, James said that you, you, you are to walk in the same manner with the same type of faith as when you come to know Him personally. It's that you grow along the way. I, I realize that we can only grow when we exercise faith. Do you realize that? We can do a lot of things, but we can only grow in a walk with Jesus when we make a faith decision for Him, whatever that decision may be. It has to be a faith decision. Then we grow incrementally in the Lord. That is expanding, trusting God for more, you know, that we expand our faith beyond where we are and on to even more. 
Um, if I may share story, and this is quite a number of years back now, but um, my first job is with a secular organization. You know, like fresh out of school, uh, first job, you know, a fresh grad, you know, it's, uh, it's a scary thing, right? Transition. It's just one of the seven major transitions in life. One of it is getting your first job. Uh, work for a pretty large firm, but uh, I remember changing, exchanging notes with my fellow Christians, uh, um, with believers who are fellow disciples, we were on campus. So we were talking about how, how, how do we make an impact for the Lord? How do we take the faith that we have learned and been nurtured on campus? You've kind of grown up on campus, could say, you know, kind of excited about the Great Commission. How, how do we do that day in, day out, you know, facing the, the mo- computer monitor, facing irate customer, facing uh, different types of leaders uh, in, as an employee? And one of the things that we, we really covenant before the Lord is that we are able to express God's love in a way that is significantly impactful in the lives of men and women around us. In fact, one of my fellow disciples, a friend, he, in his uh, company, he formed a small group of Christians called the Joy Club. You know, I mean, and the word J stands for Jesus, the O stands for others, and the Y stands for you. Uh, they said that we want to make Jesus real, not just where we came from as a student, but right now in the working life as a professional in the working world. We want Jesus to be there in, in our midst, uh, in our workplaces. Others, it's because it's not just about us. It's about reaching people with the gospel, with the love of Jesus Christ. And finally, you as in themselves, that they are growing in the faith, they are fellowshipping one another, encouraging and strengthening each other in the faith. And I remember that uh, there was this particular gentleman, uh, I work in an engineering firm, and so this gentleman, a fellow engineer, and he, he is a relatively short person, uh, now it's called vertically challenged, right? The time we call it short, huh? And and so we we you know at one time he was renovating his home. It was a DIY type of thing, and he invited me. He said, "Hey, you are taller than me, much taller." And he said, "Can you help me fix some fixture? It's a bit beyond my reach. Okay, it's any you know hard." And so I said, "Okay, you know, sure." He's a non-believer, and at times I tried to share Christ, but he just kind of you know don't tell me about holy Jesus and all that. And I went to his home, and we were fixing stuff. You know, it's manly job, right? For the fixtures and things like that. And then we went to have dinner together. And uh, we were just talking and normally and says, and he turned to me and said, do you know why I kind of put you off, you know, when you tell me about Jesus? I said, no, why? Well, it's not because of you, but because I know that if I were to embrace the gospel, he can use that, I embrace the gospel and become a Christian, I have to change my lifestyle. Oh, that's interesting. And so we begin in a conversation that talks about what is truly a Christian lifestyle, what is it all about, a spiritual conversation. When I left the company two years after, I, he has not come to know Jesus. And I pray that he will be, I mean, beyond that. But uh, I realized that the reason why he was open to share with me his heart is because I've scratched an itch that he has. I've met, I've kind of just, you know, helped him in, uh, with an area that he needs help with. And by doing so, he was, open, he was ready to open his heart to me. How about you, my friend? How does the gospel and love of Christ meant to you in your life, in your workplace, in your family, with your neighbors? First John 3, 16 and 17 says this, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but, let, but in deed and in truth. So the phrase that we have in the vision statement is the gospel and love of Jesus Christ. 
And in here is very evident by John, the apostle that Jesus loved as he built himself as such, that we are a grateful, grateful heart. Grateful heart because someone else has laid down his life for us. That we too need to demonstrate practical, others-centered love towards people around us with the brothers and sisters in Christ in the community of faith in church, but also with people that we meet out who have needs that, um, that we can meet. Um, someone asked me this question. How ready is our church to receive and minister to gays in our midst, for instance? That's a very penetrating question in this uh, time and age. Because God's love compels us to reach the unreached. There are issues, these are all issues of discipleship. Uh. We are truly caring and loving to the world that we are in. Uh, and I had a privilege, I mean, there are many of you here, and, and, and some of you have shared with me how God has given you opportunities to express God's love practically. Uh, I remember a brother uh, in my care group whose cubicle maid, um, wife was struggling with cancer, and how, you know, he was open for my friend to talk to him and to pray and share with him uh, God's love, and to pray for him practically for not just for his salvation, but even for the, for the wife who's facing uh, possible death. Uh. And then, you know, another one has a jogging partner that goes jogging with him after work, uh, a certain pathway, you know, and, and, and he's, the partner is a non-believer. And as he, as he jogs with him, they have opportunities as they rest, as they meet together, to talk more about the issues of life and also with that spiritual conversations. Uh. Another one whose colleague, he's fighting for his own life because uh, he faces cancer as well. And this brother brought him, I think, to our church one time. And then he became a believer and then followed him up in his faith. Uh, his death, though very sad, this particular person became a Christian. Though it was glorious because uh, here we have a brother in Christ who's able to help him know Jesus before this person moves into eternity. That is truly the love of Jesus Christ. The next question is, part of it is transforming life, right? The next segment of our vision. What does transformed lives look like? The Bible, you know, I come from a school where the Bible is taught, right? It's, it's a cemetery, excuse me, seminary. But, uh, you know, oftentimes our Bible professors always say this, the Bible is not so much for information, but for transformation. Transformed life is the desired outcome of Scripture, not just more information or more knowledge of it. Matthew 22, 37 to 40 says this, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. One of the characteristics of a transformed life is that the person has the love of God and the love for the people of God and others in him. A transformed life signifies the one that is dead to his previous trespasses against God. And you know, we is, and part of that dying is dying to our own biases against other races, against people who smell different from us, people who look different from us, people who talk different from us, people from different socioeconomic classes and so forth. A transformed heart demonstrates a radical view of others from Christ's point of view. The love of God and the love for people of God and for others as well. Okay? Because, like Matthew, you know, quoting Jesus, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So if you want to look good uh, in the eyes of God, go for this. 
Check your heart vis-a-vis the Lord and your heart vis-a-vis other fellow men, especially for those that round you up the other way, the wrong way. Okay. The transformation of lives primarily occur when the Word of God is preached, taught, and applied in community. Ultimately, transforming lives is the work of God through the Holy Spirit. However, God often uses other means like people, uh, the Word, and lives are changed through the proclamation of the good news of Christ as revealed in Scripture. And good works or good deeds serve as a witness to the power and ethos of the Gospel and a demonstration of the love of Jesus Christ. Next one. Just move on with this. Okay, a third part you have come to is that of a disciple-making church. What is a disciple-making church? I think Pastor Arnold gave a very good uh, sermon last week that gave us a kind of a broad, broad perspective of the Great Commission, what it means to you and I uh, who desire to fulfill Christ's commission in our life. In, in other words, the church purpose is the Great Commission. Okay? Our vision is a slice of that pie, um, but truly a disciple-making church would seek to fulfill Christ's commission in our life. But specifically, um, what is a disciple of Jesus? Simply, in First Corinthians, we are told that a disciple of Jesus is an imitator of Christ. Okay, Be imitators of me, just as I am also of Christ, uh, Paul says. He says, imitate me as I imitate Jesus, speaking as a disciple to the church that he is speaking to. All right? And then... Uh, the other aspects of disciples is this thing. Sometimes we, we interpret Christians and disciples differently. If you look at, uh, in Acts 11, it says that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Do you notice the word, how does it go? It says, the disciples who are already disciples, followers of Jesus, committed followers of Christ, were first called Christians. They are synonymous synonymous in nature and therefore the outcome. So if you say, I'm born again as a Christian, you ought to see yourself also as a disciple of Jesus because one and the other is the same. The difference between a committed and uncommitted uh, believer or Christian or disciples is obvious, but these two are synonymous as far as the scripture is concerned. Disciple-making is being a disciple, doing discipling, and evangelism. It is inherently intentional in helping not just oneself, but other disciples grow and spiritually multiply. Let me share about this aspect of spiritual multiplication. In 2 Timothy 1 and 2, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, this entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The idea is that you're not just receiving as a disciple of Jesus, you are also passing on the baton of disciple-making to others below you. If this a little picture here to help us uh, look at the verse. So Paul is telling Timothy, first is the first, Paul is the first generation, telling Timothy, hey Timothy, you need to find faithful men, there's a third generation, okay, and then others below the faithful men to carry on the, the disciple-making process. So there are four generations. Okay. Now, some people make a big deal out of number four. They say, you must have four, otherwise you're not disciple and so forth. But I think this is an illustration that helps us understand. As we seek to multiply generation after generation, after generation more lives are touched by you through your disciples. And the desire is as more are being trained and equipped as disciples of Jesus Christ, they will continue on the task, the never-ending task of reaching ultimately the world of Jesus. The Great Commission can only be fulfilled 
through the task of spiritual multiplication, influencing one to the other, so the process in unbroken change carry on until every person on planet Earth heard the gospel, and some of which will become disciples of Jesus. So a disciple-making church is men and women, like Paul, Timothy, faithful men or others, who are continuing their task day in and day out. It is a community of disciples that comes together as part of the church to glorify God. Disciples are in the world to make disciples, declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, building a community of faith that worships the Lord and obeys His commands. Now let's put it all together. Okay? Uh, I see, okay, what, you know, uh, this, is, this is great, but really, so what does it all mean? Put it in a succinct, succinct way. Well, I, I think in response to the gospel and love of Jesus Christ, each and every member of the church is to be a committed disciple and disciple maker. They are to be imitators and followers of Jesus Christ. It's not true, just true not just for so-called members only, but also for every leader, every influencer in, a, in this church that serves in different capacities. Each member is growing in his discipleship, progressing to maturity in Christ. Their lives are increasingly demonstrate the power of the gospel, spirit-filled living, and increasingly loving one another. This other-centered love crosses multiple barriers, like age gap, social, economic, race, ethnic, human sexuality, and so forth. They sacrificially help fellow Christians grow to maturity within the community of the church. And they participate in the life of the church at Sunday services, prayer meetings, and so forth. And the leaders are to equip these disciples in the work of the ministry. Therefore, what is my response? If a Christian is simply a disciple who follows Jesus, and a disciple is a Christian who follows Christ, so why all this talk about disciple making in the first case? Aren't we all Christians all this while? And therefore, we are disciples on this well. I think the main difference is intentionality. Am I intentionally thinking, living, breathing as a disciple of Jesus and committed to his call to make disciples? Am I intentionally doing that every day of my life, thinking through it? Now, you may not be doing a specific discipleship action during a particular day, but are you thinking and breathing and living out as a disciple of Jesus. So that wherever you are, your workplaces, your home in church, wherever you are, even when you go on a holiday, your behavior is consistent throughout. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we go on holiday and we leave, we leave our Christianity behind. We become someone very different. We, we drink things that we do not normally drink. We take food that we don't normally take, you know? Well, I mean, in some sense, that's true as a tourist. But really, is our behavior consistent with that of a disciple? Say, well, I'm out of Singapore. I'm out of... I'm out of the watchful eye of uh, Pastor Arnold, you know, whatever. Elders, you know, I can do whatever I want, but you're not out of the eyes of, of God. And it's not to be a guilt trip, but it's coming from the heart. If my mission is to fulfill God's vision for me as His disciple, if my vision as a member of Grace Baptist Church is to fulfill the disciple-making mandate that God has given to me, to us as a church and to me personally, then I should be engaged and involved wherever I am. Wherever I am, I'm thrilled every time when different ones will share how they've gone on trips and God provided them opportunities to share the gospel to someone, broken Chinese, English, or whatever language the person may be in, but having an opportunity to show God's love to that person or persons. That thrills my heart. That is true Christian discipleship. No matter where you are, 
you are a disciple of Jesus. Not when you enter the gate of the church and say, and all of a sudden you change. You become a disciple of Jesus. No. Wherever we are, wherever we go. So, as you consider this, our challenge to, for you to consider is, are you intentionally in disciple making? And so, may I suggest for you to prayerfully think through and decide perhaps one or more of these possible commitments before the Lord. Perhaps you want to commit to pray for 30 days for disciple-making to become a reality in your own life and in the church. This is a spiritual endeavor. It is not the work of man. Just because I want to do it, I can do it. No, it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I need to be equipped and trained some more. Yes, perhaps. But perhaps even with what you have already, you can share your love to others around you. So come, commit to pray for 30 days or more. But you, know, you can always renew the contract after that. Commit to be a disciple of Jesus. If you want to grow in your understanding and practice of discipleship, then have someone to disciple you. We would encourage you to attend the discipleship seminars as well, especially the Essentials of Discipleship series. They are starting very soon. So join that to know more today, right? Yeah. Or commit to be a discipler. If you feel that you are at a point of maturity that you like to multiply as a disciple of disciples, then pray and ask God to lead you to other believers in church whom you can disciple. You may want to attend the DS, the seminars as well, because those who attend are like-minded people who want to know more about Jesus, who want to know more about disciple-making. Then potentially you can find people interested to be your disciples there. While your decision is in taking this mission of discipleship is intensely a personal one, we do want to be part of your journey as well. Um, we want to know who you are, uh, not for the election register, but to know what are some of your needs in disciple-making or things that you can help the church with in disciple-making or just perhaps questions you have in your own journey of faith as a disciple of Jesus. We want to partner with you, journey with you, and to bless you. That's all we want to do. Okay? We won't spam you if you tell us your name and your email. All right? So please let us know your decisions or your commitment within the next 72 hours. Uh, I understand that Research has shown anything beyond three days that people forget. So three days is the max. So if you have made a commitment as you prayerfully decide today or even tonight to go back home, think and pray before you sleep. Say, yeah, the Lord is tugging in your heart and hey, I I want to to demonstrate a disciple-making lifestyle. Drop a note to future at gracebaptistchurch.sg. I know this looks familiar because it was used for rebuilding, uh, but there's only one person who holds the key to this email address. He will do the confidential filtering and give uh, it to a specific elder assigned to this task. So it will be a, a, a confidential uh, de- a decision. Okay. Let us spend a few moments in reflection, shall we, before I close our time in prayer. What is my mission? Am I committed to God's vision in making it my own? Am I intentional in disciple-making? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that you, out of your great love and mercy to us, send your Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that we become children of the Most High God. Thank you that he lived a life on earth so that we can see with our own eyes the way he discipled, the way he, the way he loved and cared for others so that he gave us a model to follow. 
And so, dear Lord, as we consider the vision before us, it is a big vision. But, Father, you are a personal God. You empower us individually to do what is right, what is needed. So help us as we make decisions, as we make commitments, and some of us are thinking and praying about it, which will lead us into all truth in this matter. We thank you, Father. Pray all this in your Son's most powerful name. Amen.